0: Do you see, do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care, don't you care? Are you gonna let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care? all I ever hear no one aches no one hurts no one even sheds one tear but he cries he weeps, he bleeds and he cares for your needs and you just lay back and keep soaking it in oh can't you see it's such sin cause he brings peace to your door and you turn them away as you smile and say, God bless you, be at peace, and all heaven just weeps, because Jesus came to your door, you've left him out on the streets, Open up, open up, and give yourself away. You see the need, you hear the cries, so how can you delay? God's calling, and you're the one, but like Jonah, you run. He's torn church just can't fight cause it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so wealthy? Jesus rose from the grave and you you can't even get out of bed. Oh, Jesus rose from the dead Come away, come away, come away with me, my love. Come away from this man.
1: Good morning. My name is Doug. <laughs> I play in the worship team and I'm an elder here at Maricopa Springs. Um, let the lost be found and the dead be raised. In the here and now, let love invade. Let the church live loud, our God will say. We believe, we believe. And the gates of hell will not prevail, for the power of God, has torn the veil. Now we know your love will never fail. We believe. We believe. And we have a life-giving message. We have life itself that lives within inside us, eternal life that God's given us. Gabe said, I, I looked much better when I, when I played that. <laughs> Thanks, Gabe. 1978 the height of the Jesus People movement slash revival. They say one of the the last, or if not the last, great revival in the United States. Keith Green was a passionate voice for a generation. Some were so turned off by him because he was so intense, but he spoke the truth. And I did not play that this morning to anger you, make you feel guilty if you're not out leading all your neighbors to the Lord or your coworkers, I played that to, to get you excited. That you would use every opportunity to tell people about your Savior, the lover of your soul, the answer to every problem that faces mankind. Here's just a couple of, of examples of people from the past. John Knox constantly carried the burden for his land. And night after night, he prayed on the wooden floor of his hideout refuge from Queen Mary. When his wife pleaded with him to get some sleep, he answered, How can I sleep when my land is not saved? Payne reports that often Knox would pray all night in agonizing tones, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. God shook Scotland. John Wesley said, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. In other words, it's not his job. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. James Coffey said it similarly. Oh, to burn out for God, all, all for him. Jesus only. Souls, souls, souls. I am determined to be a winner of souls. God help me. And John Hyde, also called Praying Hyde, so mightily used in salvation and revival in India as the apostle of intercession often cried out, Father, give me these souls or I die. Father, I pray that love for you alone would consume your people. A wave of repentance to demolish strongholds, tear down idols and revive your church. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to flood the church and fill your people once again. And Father God, I pray that total surrender to the call to advance your kingdom, to every tribe, every nation, every people group would grip your people in the most wonderful and mighty name above all names, Jesus. Amen. Go rock the world with a passion
2: for souls. Doug, you're bringing it, man. How am I supposed to get up here and even talk after that? Yeah, I mean, that, that's why we're here. That's why our church exists, right? Helping people meet and follow Jesus. One of our core values that we're going to visit soon is this value for evangelism, that, you know, this is not, this is not a club for believers. This is a, a rescue operation, really. So thank you for being here and being part of it. Um, we're in this series called Heartbeat, and today we're talking about sound doctrine. So I guess we're going to turn a corner maybe a little bit. And at some point recently, um, Leanne and I were were talking in our house and it came up that this week was going to be sound doctrine. That's going to be what we're talking about. And she sort of made this look on her face like she had just put some yogurt in her mouth only to find out that it had been sitting on the kitchen counter for a couple of weeks. (laughs) It was sort of like a, you know, you try, go ahead, try and make that face. Like the uh, sound doctrine, Uh, right? Now, just so you know, my wife has a bachelor's degree from Moody Bible Institute, which is a very reputable school with great doctrine, and she gave me permission to share that story with you. She gets this stuff. She really does. But the truth is, there are very few people who, like, jump at the idea to talk about sound doctrine, right? The other word that sometimes is used is dogma, which has a pretty negative connotation to it. The word itself, doctrine, kind of conjures up these... Uh, images of dusty books that make you fall asleep and stuffy old men looking down their noses at you, right? So it's just not a subject that most people get excited about, and yet it is one of our core values at Maricopa Springs. I would say it's probably fair to say that if I had posted like sound doctrine as the topic for this Sunday, many of you would have started your Super Bowl parties at like 10 o'clock, right? Right. So I have two goals this morning, okay? The first is to raise the value that our church has for sound doctrine because I think that God has a value for sound doctrine. And then second, not to meet your expectations that talking about sound doctrine is boring, okay? Those are my two goals. So let me pray that I can succeed in this. Father, we thank you for your word in the way that it reveals you, and we thank you for your heart for the lost. We thank you even for that, that song, even though it may be a hard message to hear, God. We, we thank you for the reminder that you are a God who loves the lost. We are here because you love the lost, and you sought us out, and you found us. And we worship you for those things this morning. And so, God, I pray that as we talk about sound doctrine today, that it wouldn't be just an academic exercise, that it wouldn't be theory that we're discussing with no application to our lives, but that you would transform us even as we talk about the importance of this value. Would you reveal to us your heart for good doctrine? And we give you thanks this morning that we can come here and praise you as part of this body. Amen. So why does our church have doctrine as a value, sound doctrine? Is that really necessary? I want you to turn with, your, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. That's where we're going to start I just ordered some new Bibles, but I think we gave our last one away this morning. But if you're a guest with us, we would love to give you a Bible in the future. So come back next week, and hopefully we'll have some for you. But 2 Timothy chapter 4. While you're turning there, our core value of sound doctrine says this, and I believe it's on the back of your bulletin. It says, we want to know God's Word and stand for its truth. We want to know God's Word and stand for its truth. And the importance of having a high value for the doctrines of Scripture, the truth of God's Word, it really cannot be overstated. It is essential to the church. And the church, I would say, has been guilty throughout history of terrible tragedies when the value for doctrine has slid to the wayside. And this is a weighty matter. It's one that Scripture itself addresses. 2 Timothy chapter 4, look there with me. and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul writes this to his disciple Timothy, who's a leader but also sort of still a leader in training in the church, and it's as if Paul is peering into the 21st century, isn't it? Really. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I mean, it sounds to me like that time is here. Paul wants Timothy to understand that the truths of Christianity are in fact hard to swallow, aren't they? That Timothy shouldn't be surprised by the fact that people reject the truth of God's revelation in Scripture, and they replace it for ideas that are far more in line with their passions and their desires. I mean, think just for a second about the very core Doctrines of Christianity, the core truth, the core idea, let me state it like this You're born into sin, and from the moment you take your very first breath, you belong under God's wrath for rebellion. Great starting point, right? Nothing that you do, none of your good works, not even the good things that you accomplish in life, can make God happy with you to balance out his wrath. But if you trust, In Christ, the son of God, that he died in your place for your sins, then you can be forgiven for all of them, past, present, and future. And out of that forgiveness, then you can spend the rest of your life serving God and serving other people selflessly because of the sheer joy that it brings you. Okay, think about how insulting that message is, really. I mean, it flies in the face of all of our pride, our dignity, It's not a message that, like, plasters CVS and Walgreens and Walmart when you walk in the door. It doesn't sell. 1 Corinthians chapter 123, Paul says this, We preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Okay, so in other words, to the Jews... They find it incomprehensible, this gospel that we believe. And the pagans, they just think it's straight up stupid. They disagree with it. And although we know that it is the truth of God revealed in Jesus Christ, Paul fully understands that the Christian message, it's basically intolerable to the depraved human heart. It really is. In general, as humans, we tend to think that we're really not all that bad and we tend to think that God is really not all that good, right? And in our pride, if we receive something, we ultimately want to be uh, worthy of receiving it, right? We want to keep our honor intact by saying, I deserve this thing. And when it comes to the direction of our lives, laying our lives down for other people and for God, that doesn't sound like freedom. It sounds like slavery in our natural condition. Everything about the Christian gospel It stinks to our fallen human nature that's just blind to truth and proud in the face of God. And so all kinds of false teachers, all kinds of deceivers ultimately have used the name of Jesus, right? Because they like some of the things that he did, the golden rule, healing people, accepting the marginalized. So they've gathered up the name of Jesus and the label of Christianity and just tweaked the message a little bit so that it sells better, so that it feels better to the natural human heart. Messages that are far more marketable than, you're a sinner, but God in his grace saves you through the death of his son. So I don't want to be known for the guy who preaches against other people. I want to be known as the guy who preaches for Christ, but from time to time it's necessary to identify some of these things and kind of go here, okay, so that you're equipped So take a name we're probably all familiar with, Joel Osteen. I don't know how you feel about him, but the man is the product of itching ears. He tells everyone who follows him that God's plan for them is to be rich and happy and healthy. Man, that works perfect with the American dream, right? I mean, my desires fit nicely in those categories. Too bad then for Jesus and all of his disciples— who were poor, beleaguered, and ultimately died for what they believe, they don't really seem to fit into Joel Osteen's Christianity anywhere, ironically. Jesus himself does not fit into Joel Osteen's bad doctrine, which is why Jesus himself condemns this kind of pseudo-faith. Mark 7, verses 6 through 7. He quotes the prophet Isaiah, and Jesus says this, This people, they honor me with their lips. If you go to Joel Osteen's website, you can find Jesus on there. He can be found. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And oh man, that is a harsh condemnation coming from Jesus, isn't it? He's rebuking people that say whatever they want and then stamp his name across it as a label as if it's acceptable preaching bad doctrine to dead hearts and calling it Jesus. Okay, now listen, it's not just Joel Osteen who's guilty of this. It's, it's, it's rampant. It's all over the place. And I'm not going to use names, and I discourage you from like investigating, but uh, there are some churches here in Maricopa. And so I want to show you some doctrinal statements from churches here in Maricopa. Let's take a look at this for a second. The first one, on this website there's a lot up there. I'll read it really quickly. It didn't fit super well on one slide, but on this website, there were lots of things that were mentioned. There were some core values, but these were the only statements that start with, we believe, okay? We believe that the church is the body of Christ, an extension of Christ's life and ministry in the world today. Great. We believe that the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Yes. We believe that the church is the communion of saints, a community made up of all past, present, and future disciples of Christ. Yes. We believe that the church is called to worship God and to support those who participate in its life as they grow in faith. Absolutely. We believe Jesus is the Lord. We believe that the Lord Jesus invites everyone everywhere to be in relationship with him. Yes. These are all good things. I don't disagree with any of them. But guess what? That's that's it. That is their entire statement of faith. On this website, there was not a single Bible verse to be found anywhere. Isn't that fascinating? No references to Scripture whatsoever. So I think that we could say these things are absolutely true, but they're only part of the truth, aren't they? There's nothing here about Jesus saving individual people from their sins against a holy God. There's no mention of that. And so I think you could fully agree with the doctrines of this church and ultimately not even be saved. Because salvation is unclear and while sound doctrine may not be a subject that's like the most fun thing to talk about bad doctrine hurts people maybe you know because you've been in a church that unraveled because of bad doctrine it ultimately hurts people it wrecks lives it wrecks churches and it has eternal consequences okay one more from a local church They just have, about salvation, they say this, we believe nothing we can do or have done can earn our salvation. We believe salvation is a gift that's to be used in this life here on earth right now. And they reference Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Again, great stuff. I don't disagree with any of that. Until you begin to realize what's not there. This is all that this church has to say about salvation. And this statement sort of defines how we get salvation, right? At least it says it's a gift that we can't earn, but it doesn't say where the gift comes from. It makes no mention of Christ. We can't earn it, but we don't know that it comes from Jesus as the only source of salvation. And then add to that, it's a statement about salvation, but it doesn't tell us what salvation is. Where, what are we actually saved from? That's very important. In the Bible passage, this is taken from the passage, not just the verse, but the longer passage, the context, we are told what we're saved from, but the, the, the church doesn't reference that. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, so that no one may boast. But in the preceding verses, we go back a little bit further, that, that, and obviously that's a fabulous verse, right? We fully believe that. That's referenced in our statement of faith. But we go back a little bit further, Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. I'd actually like you to turn there. I wasn't going to make you, but I think it's important. Ephesians chapter 2, and you know, if you're new to this whole thing, there's an index in the front of your Bible, use it. There's no shame in using the index. We love it. Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse one, it says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of a body, of of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Salvation means that we're saved from sin. And this is the part of sound doctrine that we need to be sure that we stand for. I mean. It's only one part we need to be sure we stand for, but it's an important part. And in order to be saved from sin, you first have to come to terms with the fact that you are a sinner. Like, I, I can't be saved from something I don't believe I have, right? We are all sinners. That's what we're saved from. But that message usually doesn't go over very well. It's a hard truth. Which is why for 2,000 years... Since scripture was penned for the first century church, people have been editing God's word to toss out doctrinal issues they don't like because they're not very palatable to our human sensibilities. Like, ours is not the first generation to try this. And Paul knew this would happen, so he warned us against false teachers and bad doctrine. Let me read it again. Second Timothy chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So I admit, maybe doctrine can be a boring subject, right? Words like superlapsarianism, transubstantiation, and Eutychianism. Great for Scrabble, not so great for the dinner table. <laughs> okay, I, I get it. But the alternative to sound doctrine is bad doctrine, and the stakes are really high. And lots of people, they don't even understand that the church that they go to doesn't have good doctrine, that the church has bad doctrine. The, the people are nice, the snacks are tasty, the worship fits their style, and so they don't really ask any hard questions. But their lack of concern for bad doctrine is dangerous. Okay, so what is sound doctrine? If our church has a value for this thing, what is it? Well, to go and in depth into all of our doctrinal beliefs would take a very long period of time i'll circle back to this at the end i know most of you have a super bowl to get to so i'll let you go around four o'clock okay so here we go (laughs) i'm just kidding i won't take that long let me summarize i'm not i'm not going to go into our doctrinal statement because i don't have time let me just summarize what the essence of sound doctrine is ready sound doctrine is truth sound doctrine is the truth it's not my opinion it's not my preference it is the truth that is revealed in god's word the bible this right here this is the source of doctrine sound doctrine which is true a few guys from our men's bible study this week were uh at a coffee shop in the morning and the Bible study had sort of already wrapped up, and we were just kind of having some follow-up conversation, kind of processing some stuff. And this lady, I noticed her listening to our conversation, and I started to feel a little awkward, because it was intense. And, and after a couple of minutes, she comes over, and she uh, begins to tell us that she's a Christian, and she pr- proceeds to interject her thoughts into our conversation. She wants us to know her perspective on what we were discussing. And in this little teaching moment that she had, she said something like this, okay? I'm not, I'm not going to get into the specifics, but she said something like this. Well, my opinion is that God meant this in his word, because logically for God to do something like that, it just doesn't make sense to me, right? It's very subtle, but do you see the problem here? This woman, she doesn't care about what is objectively true, really revealed in God's word, She doesn't care about what is authoritatively true. She's not concerned ultimately with the truth of sound doctrine revealed in Scripture. What's important to her is her opinion, what makes logical sense to her. She accepts the things that feed her passions that make sense to her, and she rejects the things that are contrary to her desire. And so she starts with reason and her opinion, and then out of that attempts to make her way to truth. But Christians start with truth, and out of that, we make our way to opinions. We find reason from that. Scripture is our starting place. Scripture is our authority. It's not our preference or our opinions or our itching ears. This is where we start. There's a tragic story, I think, that illustrates this in Scripture. Turn with me to John chapter 18. The Gospel of John, chapter 18. Jesus, he's been arrested by the Jewish leaders, and since they don't have the power to put him to death because they're under Roman authority, he's been handed over to the Romans so they can request that Jesus be executed. And the Jews then go to Pontius Pilate, the Roman uh, governor, and they ask him to execute Christ because they hate Jesus. And so Pilate's in this sticky situation. He doesn't even really know what Jesus has done yet, but he's got this mob at his doorstep. And so to find out the crime that Jesus has committed, he engages in a dialogue with him, starting in verse 33 of John 18. It says, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? His sarcasm is just pungent, isn't it? Pilate is of the opinion there is no truth. He's a skeptic. He's very much like 21st century postmodern Americans, isn't he? But the terrible tragedy, the, the almost painful irony of this scene is that Pontius Pilate is literally staring truth in the face, and he doesn't see it. He's looking Jesus in the eyes. He is is gazing on truth itself. But he has this prior opinion that there is no truth, and so he can't see it because his itching ears want to believe that things are aligned with his passions and his desires, nobody has the right to tell him what is true, Pilate cannot see that Jesus is truth standing there. And so when it comes to our opinions, our value for sound doctrine, it really requires us to lay opinion aside at the feet of Jesus, who is truth. Jesus makes the astonishing claim, I'm sure you know, John 14, 6, I'm the way the truth, and the life. Wow. Jesus is claiming that truth literally proceeds from him. And the reason why our church has a value for sound doctrine is because ultimately at the core of that is Christ himself. Jesus sits there. And if we lose sight of him as the truth, then the whole thing falls apart, doesn't it? You can see whole denominations going this way these days as they deny sound doctrine and fall into heresy. We don't have a right as Christians for our opinions and preferences, for our itching ears to have authority over Christ as the one who brings truth. So believe me when I say sound doctrine, it's not an academic issue. It is not just for pastors and seminary students and theologians. Sound doctrine is the work of every single believer in the church. I mean, if you think I'm the source of sound doctrine, then when I fall into heresy, how are you going to know? You're just going to follow me blindly. And sound doctrine has some wonderful benefits for the Christian, okay? Real quick. It produces maturity. It really does. Imagine if you lived your whole life as a child, like knowing what you know now about some of the great things that you can do and know as an adult, Imagine if you lived your whole life as a child needing someone to feed you and change your diaper and tell you when to go to bed. An adult who has tasted what it means to be mature, isn't it just an awful thought to think about running around in diapers again? Right? And the same is true in our faith. Sound doctrine, it produces maturity in time. Hebrews 5, talking about good doctrine, it says this, It says, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And the author is saying, it's time for Christians to grow up It's time for us to mature. It's time for us to know the truth and stand for it because God is equipping us to discern good from evil. It's time for us to grow up from childish opinions and preferences and base our faith in Christ himself. It's time for us to stop sucking from the bottle of Sunday morning church and begin to be people who are skilled in words of righteousness so that we can be mature, encouraging one another, admonishing one another, and maturity is such a beautiful thing for the Christian. It's a powerful piece in the process of transformation that God has us on. Maturity, it, it, it causes us to marry doctrine to practice. Doctrine to practice. So we don't just know the truth, we live it out. Maturity causes the knowledge of the mind to match the submission of the heart so that Jesus becomes our savior and our master. Maturity, it weds together zeal and humility both so that we stand boldly for the truth with a heart of grace and love for those who are lost. Maturity causes joy and suffering, joy and suffering, to become intimate acquaintances so that the joy of the Lord is our strength through every season, not just the good ones. And we've got a core value for sound doctrine at Maricopa Springs Because we want you to be a mature believer, a mature Christian. We want you to stand for the truth of God's word. We want you to know God's word. So I want to give you just one very simple application, okay? It's not going to instantly make you more mature, but it will begin a journey of growth in maturity. And I'd be willing to bet that only a tiny number of you in this room have ever actually read our church's statement of faith. You, you trust me, thank you. You trust our elders. You like the experience here. But you've never really looked closely at what our church claims to believe. And I've actually brought enough copies, I think, for every single person in this room to take one home and read it. If you lose it, you're not off the hook because it's on the website. And and what I really want you to do is not just read our statement of faith so you can be like, yes, check, I agree. After every statement is a reference to Scripture, I want you to go and cross-reference the statements of belief with the passages in the Bible. And I want you to read each one of those. Take the next week or the next month, however long you think it might take you, and do some research here. And maybe even you might find, hey, Grady, I love the references that you have here, but I think this is another really important one that you should have here. And maybe we need to add some more references to scripture there. But let's see as a church together what God begins to do as we search his word and come to understand his truth more. As a family, as a church family, how might we grow and mature together as God aligns our value for sound doctrine with His value for sound doctrine. Would you join me in that? I'll make those sheets available in the back of the room after the service.